So if you just think along those lines, um, anything is literally possible. <laughs>
at the time, we did not have um, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So for those of you overseas, um, that is basically Civil Rights Act for people with disabilities. Um, we just celebrated the 30th anniversary. So it passed in 1990 when I was um, about to go into eighth grade. So up until that point, so I was 12, 13. I had just turned 13 when the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. So up until that point, people had to fight have equal access to, um, you know, going to school and things like that. Um, they did have IDEA, which is the Education Act, um, and 504, but it wasn't enforced um, as well until the ADA was passed. So my mom was constantly waiting for me to be in school. So in elementary school, I was finally in a regular classroom by second grade. So prior to that, I was in a special ed, special ed classroom. Um, I don't know, for those overseas, it's, there are children with disabilities uh, are and only children with disabilities. So even if you did not have cognitive disability who are in that classroom um and so they would allow me to go into other classrooms um not full time just random times and one of the teachers uh said that she didn't want me in her classroom because i was a distraction um now keep in mind at that time, I was so shy that people didn't even know I could speak. So imagine me just quietly sitting in the corner um, being considered a distraction. So that, that was kind of the environment of the times. By middle school, you know, I was co coding at that point. Um, and then the ADA passed, which was amazing. So, you know, there was actually a law that enforced um, what schools and, and public places needed to provide uh, for people with disabilities. Um, in high school, I was in all honors and um, advanced placement classes. Um, and then, came to Boston for college. I literally arrived here on my 18th birthday and haven't left since. Um, so I've started off as computer science major um, at Boston College and soon realized that um, I was kind of tired of coding. Um, so I knew I, I wanted to do something in computers, but I didn't want to just, you know, be pigeonholed in that. Um, and so at the time, the internet was exploding. That was fairly new. Um, and so I did what most people do when they don't know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Um, I majored in communications, um, and so, you know, I did some web design and things like that, but I also learned about advertising and marketing, things like that. Um, graduated college, and, uh, you know, it was hard to get a job as someone with a disability. Um, people make judgments, right? Especially since I have a very visible disability. Um, people are hesitant, or I would have a really great 
own interview and they'd be like, oh, come in and interview. And then they would see me and decide, oh, you most likely can't really do the job. Um, there was one, one incident that I went for an interview. I had a really, really great phone interview and and they were like, oh my god, we're so excited, blah, blah, get there, and, you know, it's this really big corporate office, really swanky, really nice, I have a huge lobby, and I go to the reception, for my name, and tell her why I was there, who I was meeting, and... So I go and wait, you know, in the waiting area. I'm watching, and I know exactly what's playing out. Um, and so she picks up the phone, and then there's this door in the back where I guess all the offices and cubicles were. And I see someone peeking out of the door. And I knew immediately what was happening. So I'm sitting there waiting, and then the receptionist says, hey, oh, person that you were supposed to interview with is not in. Which, as we all know, was a person peeking out from behind the door. Um, and I was really furious, and I don't even, I don't remember exactly because it was so long ago, it was back it was at least 20 years ago. But I know I was a mixture of bad, <laughs> hurt, um, embarrassed because at the time I did not have an accessible vehicle and relied on paratransit. Um, so Massachusetts has um, a system that they partner with our public transportation. They provide door-to-door service with accessible vehicles. Now, in order to use that service, you have to book it days in advance. You also have to give them a pickup drop-off time. So you have to estimate how long you're gonna be somewhere. So of course, I was now stuck there because I thought I would have an interview. And I, I, you know, budgeted about an hour so I wouldn't be rushing to get to the, to the vehicle. So here I was, stuck in this place. I was absolutely horrible. Um, I was maybe 21, 22 years old. So at the time, I didn't even know rights really um i should have filed a complaint i should have made a huge stink um and i didn't and i left um and yeah that was one of the worst experiences uh, ever <laughs> so winter of 2014 i received three from three different people same email that MIT was looking for people with disabilities to um, submit ideas uh, for a hackathon. And it's funny because three different people sent me that email. So I was like, okay, this must be a sign. And you know, this would be a dream come true for me that I've always had all these ideas. Um, in my head growing up. People with disabilities are inherent innovators and problem solvers simply because we have to adapt the world around us. The world around us is not designed for people like us. So on a daily basis, we are constantly adapting on the fly just to do the most basic tasks. So um, this was a dream come true. I went to the meetup 
they have a meetup prior to the day of the hack to form a team. This group of students came over and we just hit it off immediately. Um, and we were working on supply list at that meetup. So typically what happens is all the, the people with disabilities whose ideas were chosen to participate, um, they sit at random tables and then the students who are interested in participating in the hack will go around. It's kind of like a speed networking, speed dating sort of thing for the students. And the students go around asking questions of each of the people and to see what project they would want to work on. And then at the end, they sign up you know, by ranking what choice you go, projects they're interested in. That's how the teams will form. My team never left my table, and that was my team. And we had already developed a plan that night and came up with a list of supplies and all that great stuff. And that was my idea of the puffin. Um, and day of the hack, within 10 hours, we built a working prototype of my idea and what my idea was and still is but has evolved is a mouth operated wireless input device and so for me i use my mouth my head to control everything so to control my phone my computer all of that stuff so you know i can only control those things if A, I'm at my desk where I have one of the most mainstream of devices um, in assistive tech, basically mounted to my desk. It's this big clunky thing, so that's where I have to be to access my computer, typically. Or I have to be in my power chair so I can still access my phone because my power chair actually has infrared and bluetooth um, built in so i can control um, any infrared device i just have to program the code in and then it acts as well as a bluetooth mouse well i don't live in my power chair um contrary to what most people believe believe it or not people do ask Wheelchair users that they sleep in their chairs. No, we don't. We sleep in beds. Um, and so, um, you know, those, I wanted to create this device where I would still have access to my phone or tablet um, no matter where I was. When I travel overseas, I don't bring my big, heavy power chair. My power chair is 500 pounds. Um, and so I typically bring a manual chair. And when I'm in my manual chair, I can't do anything. Someone had to push me. I have no technology on that chair. So this was my motivation for creating this device. As well as I know so, so many people in the disability community who don't even own mobile devices simply because they physically can't use it. So another part of, you know, motivation for creating this was, was to allow those people to have greater access. And especially nowadays, if you have access to your mobile device, you literally have access to the, to the world, right? You can connect um, to mobile banking, you can shop, can control your environment and um so that's why i i wanted this so the day of the hack we did it in 10 hours we demonstrated it by 
taking a selfie with the judges. We think that's how we won. So we won first place. And then, you know, because they were students, right, they were busy. Um, they couldn't really dedicate the full time to working on this. And so, um, so they kind of just sat for a while. Um, and then a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, the same friend said I should consult, was getting a master's at the MIT Sloan um, program. And she was doing her thesis on hackathons. And she said, you know, she interviewed me and she said, so what are you doing now? I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I really want to continue with this, but I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. So we partnered up and we began submitting grants and accelerator programs, incubators, all of that fun stuff. And 2017, spring of 2017, we got a grant from the uh, VA, which is the Veterans Administration. Uh, we got a $200,000 grant. And literally a month later, we found out we got into Mass Challenge here in Boston, which is an accelerator program. So as a result of those two things falling into place, we were able to actually create what is now um, Puffin Innovations. And yeah, that's basically where I am now. Thank you so much for going through all of that for us, Adriana. I personally am very interested in knowing a lot more about the Puffin. Obviously, I uh, don't want to go too in-depth on the technical details for the moment, but um, although I have to admit, I'd love to have that discussion with you later as well. But for the moment, could you explain a bit more about what the Puffin does for you in daily life and the in iterations you've gone through to get it to where it currently is? So original, originally, and I can actually let me see if I can share a, a picture of how it once the original hack. It was all wireless, right? So I would move the joystick in any direction, which would then move the mouse pointer on the screen. So a mouse pointer would pop up on my mobile device as well as any other device. Um, and then when I would want to click on something, I would blow in it. And then if I wanted to right click, I would sit on it. This piece down here was to hold, uh, to mount my phone on it. And that was just an extra thing. So that's how it looked originally. Um, so you can see. And then... And then this is how it looks now. So, which is obviously a lot better. So everything is in here in the housing. We have we no longer have a pressure sensor. Um not using air pressure anymore. We're using um light and a physical bind. There's photo transistors in this part, and how it works is the person will cover this part with their lip or their tongue or whatever, and that would um, create a click. And we also have a mobile app that goes along with it. So the person can control how sensitive the speed and also what each button does. So you can program this either be the left or the right click and then down here you lightly you can lightly bite on it and which is a physical button and again you can program it to be a left or right click um so this is what it looks like now we also are integrating um ai and machine learning so the user or the device can learn from the user what I mean by that is people with disabilities, their body is never the same day by day and even hour by hour. And so 
you know what? Maybe easy in the morning can become a little more difficult. And so we want our device to recognize when someone is struggling and adjust the settings accordingly. Um, so yeah, that's basic the basic overview. How do you click? Is it by biting or blowing? It, there is a physical button at the tip that I bite, or use the motor um, transistor that detects a change in light where I can cover. So one is the right click and one is the left click. That is the user's pre preference. So in our app that accompanies our device, the user can set all their preferences of what button does what type of click. Joel's question was, how does the constant updates by smartphones operating systems affect the performance or behavior of your system? If I might just add on to that, I also wanted to um, learn a little bit more about technically how people can sort of interface with the Puffin for like, if I were to make like a Steam gaming controller or something. Um, yeah, so it's just a Bluetooth, basically acts as a Bluetooth mouse. Um, and so... And now, actually, the updates have been great because iOS, um, with their recent update, now allows Bluetooth uh, mouse connectivity. So our device actually now works with all platforms, which is really great. Um, so before, it was just Android, Windows, Mac. Um, and each of those platforms work differently in general. So um, when I use a Mac, I need to really crank up um, the sensitivity and speed of the mouse sim simply because it does not move as easily as, let's say, a Windows. The same with with Android iOS. So that's another thing in, in our app is that it has different profiles. So you can have your Windows profile, you can have your Mac OS profile, you can have your Android profile or iOS profile, you can have your good day profile and your bad day profile. Um, so yeah, actually the updates have been um, a blessing for us. <laughs> because it makes our device integrate even more um, better, actually, and with more devices now. Does that answer your question? That absolutely answers my question. So any sort of interface that would work with a Bluetooth mouse would work with your system? Yes, exactly. I was... Actually, gonna just ask a follow up question, Adriana. Did you design it with a certain operating system in mind first, or was that difficult to kind of branch out? Because it sounds like you have pretty good integration at this point. Yeah, um, no, it was mainly focused for Android um, because, you know, the whole intention was to use with mobile devices. And at the time, the only other than Windows that allows um, mouse Bluetooth mouse to connect to it, uh, the only option was Android at the time. So that was our main focus was Android devices. Um, also, most people with disabilities um, are with very um, intense physical disabilities. Um, use Android devices, uh, and so um, you know, one of the main reasons is that it was a lot cheaper, or they were a lot cheaper. Now they're pretty comparable in price, but you can still get a decent Android phone, not as much as um an iPhone, right? And also, you know, there are all these great apps for allow Android phones to 
used with their computer and now windows has actually integrated that prior to that i would use different hacks to control my phone with my computer um team viewer is a great um app that allows people to use their phones on their computer so i could you know, use my mouse that's on my computer or whatever device I'm using as a mouse on my computer and have complete control of my phone as well. Um, and so, you know, that, that's why we really were focused on Android because that's what most people had if they had um, a mobile device. Um, and then again, there are people that didn't even own a mobile device because I couldn't physically use one. Again, Android would be cheapest and most affordable, so yeah. Android and Windows were pretty much the focus. Thank you very much for going through that with us. Um, what I did want to get a little bit of understanding from is how the uh, pandemic shutdowns have affected Piffin. Ha, ha, <laughs> have impacted Puffin. Yeah, um, so we basically, um, March, we went down. Um, uh, so my engineer is also, uh, he has a disability. He has cerebral palsy as well. Um, that's the thing with CP is that everyone's different. So he's completely ambulatory. Um, and people, sometimes people yell at him for parking in the handicap spot because they don't think he has a disability. So, like, there are varying degrees. Um, but, you know, we are both high risk, right? So, um, we haven't seen each other since, actually since Inez, Inez was here visiting, right? When that before everything shut down, um, we got to meet Inez. Um, I think that was the last time we've seen each other, actually, around that time when Inez was here. Yeah, it was around that. Yeah, that was basically the last. Um, but on a positive note, um, prior to COVID, I had uh, been in contact with a professor at university um, here, about 45 minutes west of Boston, uh, in Worcester, Worcester Polytech, um, and they have great engineers, and he said, why don't we have uh, a group of students use your product as their final um, project. So right now we have a team of students working for free to complete um, the design uh, for distribution. And we're really lucky, actually, that we're for the next you know school year. Um, I have about 10 students working, super genius students <laughs> working on this uh, to complete it, and it's all free, so yay. <laughs> so yes. And then um, just reading Inez's question aloud, you said that the body changes within the day. How does the puffin adjust to it? Yeah, so... What the machine learning and AI is going to do is it'll learn the usage patterns um, of the person interacting with it. And by that, I mean, we don't want to see what they're doing, right? So we're not going to be spying on people. Uh, we don't care if they're on Facebook or Snapchat or whatever they're doing. Um, what we're going to be monitoring is the actual physical interaction with the device. So how they're, you know, if they're pushing in one direction 
lot slower or less pressure or more pressure. Sometimes you put more pressure because you're kind of just stalled there, right? But we want it to recognize those things and then adjust the settings accordingly so it doesn't um, respond when you don't want it to respond, you know? So if you're accidentally overhitting it or doing things like that, um, you know, I, I know that maybe pushing to in one direction, if, you, if your body gets tired, you're not putting as much energy or, or you don't have the energy to put as much force um, in that direction. Also, position, right? And most people have this problem. If you're sitting at your desk during the day, right, when you get in, sitting up straight, and then as the day goes on, you're slouching, start slouching. Well, for people with disabilities, that happens, but at least you can fix yourself. You can set yourself up. You can reposition yourself. Most people with disabilities cannot reposition themselves. And so the dynamic there from being in a different position really affects how you're able to use the device. Eventually, we do want to create a mounting system that kind of has computer vision. So if you do slouch, or as you slouch throughout the day, the position of the device can follow you, so it's always in a good position, right? Um, so that's kind of how we see it. Thank you so much for the question, Ines. And Adriana, thank you so much for answering it. Um, I think, as Ines said, that's one of those things that people might not think about, but actually has a really big impact to th the system you're working on. And so pe a lot of people might not realize it, but if they're working with people with disability, have to actually accommodate for it. Um, now, Rahman, you asked a question, um, which I'm just going to read out, out Adriana. Uh, have you thought of applying your technology to stroke patients? Of course, yes. Um, so our initial uh, target, target slash audience um, is uh, spinal cord injuries. Uh, uh, because our competitor, the device that I actually have been using for over 15 years, um, is the first device that they get and they become injured. And this device does not connect to any mobile device. Um, it doesn't, you know, it's big, it's clunky, like I said. Uh, and so, our initial target is spinal cord injury, um, but of course, traumatic brain injury would uh, include stroke as well. But spinal cord injuries are usually, um, annually, there are about 12,000 spinal cord injuries in the U.S. alone, um, and they have increased throughout the years simply because of distracted driving. Um, and Typical age range is between 16 and 30. And so at that age, you're already, especially nowadays, you're very connected to your phone. Your support network right, is your social media or being able to text family, friends. And so when you have a spinal cord injury, you kind of lose that. Um, quote unquote sense of normalcy, right? All of a sudden you're completely dependent on um, people for everything. So um, that is why we're, our initial focus was that, because if they have access to their support system, studies show that when their mental health is in check, right, you heal faster. And so how can you have good spirits and, and good mental health if you can't connect with people that matter the most to you? 
I, I feel like it makes a lot of sense that like you saw yourself in the persona first, but I, I feel like I, I know we're going to get to it, but I know this, this technology has application far outside, you know, what, what you kind of set out to accomplish. And I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, and Nez had a follow-up question. Um, what, what is your business model for the future? Do you want to sell Puffin to the insurance companies or rather online mouth-to-mouth? -mouth? I like the mouth-to-mouth thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have multiple revenue streams. Um, so it would be a B2B because a lot of people with disabilities um, don't have um, a lot of disposable income. A lot of people are in social security. Um, and typically people go through um, nonprofits to get their technology. Um, so we have a, a B2B model, uh, which we've already connected with a bunch of organizations that serve people with disabilities that already have commitments to buy multiples um, of Puffin, which is really exciting, because they also let people try out the devices before they buy. So before either a government entity purchases it or whatever, they loan out these devices. That's how I, you know, and most of my devices in my lifetime is I try things out, and then whatever works for me is the one that we end up going with. Um, so we have that model. We have a B2C, which will be really, really small. Um, like I said, people with disabilities typically don't have that much of a disposable income. But we, uh, I connected with someone in California, an organization, that they couldn't manage the financing. So, like, payment plans for people... Also, our product would be 30% less than the products out there that are similar to ours. Um, so that's another factor. Um, you know, we always said in order for something to be accessible, price is also part of that. They think about accessibility. People need to be able to obtain it. This is a tool for them to lead more independent lives. So, you know, if they can't get the tool, then it defeats the whole purpose. Um, so that's another model. And then another thing that once we have people using this for maybe a year or two, um, we really think that the data, so the data that the uh, machine learning we'll be using, uh, such as uh, how people are moving and using our device would be beneficial to medical professionals and people developing technology. Um, and so that would be our other revenue stream, which would be a SaaS model, uh, especially for spinal cord injury units, they can then track the progress of the patient based on how they interact with our device. So those are kind of our revenue streams. Thank you so much for going through that all with us. Now, I might just follow up with um, a question also sort of about the future of Puffin, but more in a um, uh, vision sense. I was hoping sort of where do you see Puffin in the sort of general landscape of the devices that you're working on that are in that sort of area that you're working on and sort of where you see Puffin as a whole? Yeah, so this is, this is the first of many. I mean, I have so many ideas in my head. <laughs> um, and so once this is off the ground, um, we want to be a platform for assistive technology. So even 
know, partnering with people that have other great ideas. Um, we want to be that leader of creating technology that's meant for the future. So we see our device, you know, we're, we're thinking ahead. We want our device to have IoT connectivity. Um, we're hoping that smart cities will be built in the next, you know, maybe 10 years or so, um, hopefully less. But we see our device integrating, you know, being ready for that. Uh, so I could go up to a building and use my device to, you know, activate the automatic door, use my device to activate the elevator, and choose what floor, um, things like that. So, so that's what we see as the future for COVID. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> that's super exciting. I, I would love to, I, I don't know if you even have a timeline for that yet, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Actually, kind of wanted to, you won't be surprised by this question, but I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, a couple of weeks back, we, you know, had a talk about um, patenting law and um, you educated me about working with a patenting agency. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how you came to that decision and what you saw as the the pros and cons, you know, versus going through a law firm. Yeah, I mean, the biggest pro was the price. Um, <laughs> we couldn't afford um, an attorney if we wanted to actually get it done. Um, and so... Um, that was a pro, but we were introduced to um, to that patent agent through someone else that was connected, or that I was connected with, and he had done multiple patents with this person, um, and so he connected us. And this guy is just—he was amazing. Um, you know, at the time, so let, let me backtrack. <laughs> so 2015, we had the hackathon. One first place, we got so much press at the time. We had all these newspapers uh, reaching out to us. We even had the New York Times. We, we were in the New York Times. Um, it was insane. And so we were giving all these interviews. We were like, okay, we could share all this. Like, we were so excited. We're like, well, it's in writing that we shared it, right? So, how can anyone take it or steal the idea? Um, because, hey, it's right there. I said this and I said that. And, you know, my other teammates said this and that. And, um, and about a year or so, over a year later, um, uh, Someone else that I knew was like, oh, you really should start the provisional patent for it. So I was, you know, kind of on the market talking to random people who were in the industry of patent law. And this one person spoke to him and he goes, well, you know, it's been over a year. Everything that you put out there, it's been over a year. It's called prior art. And you have no claim to it anymore. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> it's obvious that we said these things. You know, it's obvious we did these things. There's dates. Because all these publications had dates on them. And he's like, no, that's how it works. Since it's over a year, you have no claim to it anymore. And um, so that's when we became very tight-lipped. The people never understood what we were doing because we were so afraid to, to give too much information out. And, and you know, um, so, so then um, we met the guy that I told you about who introduced us to the patent agent. And at that time, we had already filed the provisional and with a local law firm who was really 
um, because we did most of the legwork and my business partner really did a lot of the legwork, um, we didn't have to pay as much. He was giving us a really good deal. Um, but at the same time, if we moved forward with the real pet, it was going to cost tens of thousands of dollars of legal work or whatever it is they do. I don't even know. Um, so we con contacted um, Stephen Powers, and we had a call with him, and we explained what our device did, and he understood it. He was the first person that we had a conversation with and understood exactly what we were talking about, exactly what we were doing in our first conversation. And that's when we knew we're like, oh my God, this is the guy. <laughs> and uh, and then he also added to our pet. So he gave us more ideas like, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Um, so yeah, that's how we ended up. And then let me back up again. Um, so right, be right before we started the provisional patent process, and right when we started um, in 2017, the spring, summer 2017, a mass challenge, and after we got the VA grant, we noticed this website that was doing what we had or were working on and had used exactly the same language, like down word for word, of what I had said in multiple interviews. Um, years prior to that. So, that, you know, that was another motivation for us not to talk to anyone uh, in great detail about any of it. So, yeah, so so just keep in mind, don't, don't you know, give just enough, but not the secret sauce. Um, and we were giving it all <laughs> out prior to that. And then again, after that, we weren't giving enough out that people understood, but we were just too afraid. Um, so I, I honestly, I can't tell, tell you how to manage that, you know, a fine line of giving too much info and too little info, um, but he was great. Thank you so much for going through all of that, Adriana. I think um, personally, as someone who's also working with some uh, relatively newish technology, not quite as innovative as yours. Patents are one thing that I've considered to be kind of a mystery that I need to figure out and I'm slightly terrified of. Uh, so, so I'm glad to hear about your path through that, that sea and weeds. Um, now, something that I did want to ask you about is how you define or measure success for yourself personally and professionally. This is one of those questions we like to ask sort of regularly to get an idea of people's mindset in a sense. Right. So obviously we're not, we don't have any revenue yet. So um, it's definitely not money. Um, but, um, you know, as with any, entrepreneurial journey, right? There are ups and downs and always those times where like, why am I doing this? Um, you know, maybe I should stop for a while. Maybe I should do something else. And then someone comes along, kind of reaffirms your original, or the, reaffirms the reason why you originally started this journey. And so along the way, it seems that people, or I would hear from people, or things would just happen right at the right time when we would be kind of at our low. You're like, oh my goodness, can't continue. And um, I guess what I measure as success is people who say, oh my goodness, I really need this. When can I have it? Um, you know, and how it would affect their lives in a good way. Um, so that that's kind of how I measure the success of the company. Um, as for 
career-wise, um, I think it's people in the industry that I've respected uh, for a really long time now see me as an equal and come to me with questions or, you know, advice on certain things. And so that's um, where I see success with my career is that I'm doing something right, I guess. Um, if people in the AT, which stands for assistive tech, um, in the AT industry are, are actually listening and paying attention to me, these are people that who you know, who I have looked up to and 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 refer to for advice and things like that. Um, so I, I I think that's that's how I measure success. That's like a very poetic answer. I really appreciate that. Well, because I I feel like it's you know through um, especially this the current set of challenges you are experiencing with the shutdowns. Um, I, I think, you know, having that deep inner drive is just so key. So I, I really appreciate you explaining yours. Um, I, I did wanna ask you one more question, kind of we've been using it as a closing question. Um, do you have any, you know, words of wisdom or, um, you know, mantra you live by, or you can steal some that, else has given you um, any any words of advice that you'd like to leave us with? If you guys have seen the, the video that uh, Nancy shared, <laughs> I think the end kind of sums it up. <laughs> you know, if you're really passionate about something and you really believe in what you're doing and what you're working on, um, and then just keep going and Nothing is not impossible. Um, I love, so that was a video, won an award last year from the Not Impossible Labs. Um, and one of their taglines is, what once was possible is now possible. And, and that's basically true. I mean, think about it, everything that exists today was once impossible now is possible um so if you just think along those lines um anything is literally possible that's awesome thank you so much i, I really want to thank you for all of your time today adriana it, it was really wonderful speaking with you and and hearing um about puffin um, and, and I can't wait to, to hear about things more. Um, and, and Nez, thank you so much for inviting Adriana to this community. So um, to everyone listening, we do actually have some members of our community like Adriana uh, that are uh, friends of um, campers. So um, Adriana does have an MIT affiliation, but um, she didn't do the boot camp program in the same way that we did. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're part of this community and, and I'm so glad to, to have met you. Um, so I, I say that kind of letting everyone know that you can nominate other people to join this community that you think would benefit from it and, and bring value. Thank you. I mean, this, this is, I've really benefited from listening to other people speak and just learning different things that I had no clue about. Um, so I think that's great that so many people here have so many different backgrounds. So it's just great to learn about all these different things that you otherwise would never have the opportunity to engage in those discussions. Yeah, I, I always get benefit from listening to others, even if it's technically a little bit over my head. And uh, I hope everyone has a great day and evening ahead. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. Thank you.
This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage Weekly Podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.